Welcome to the Really Mary podcast show where we have real questions with real answers. Really Mary? (laughs) Yes, really. Really Mary? So today I have Fred Kramer, attorney at law here in Marco Island and Naples, Florida. And Fred's going to answer some very good questions that people have. Hopefully with good answers. <laughs> exactly. They'll be great answers because you're answering them. Um, so many times um, our foreign investors are interested in how that all works when they go to sell. Because maybe somebody didn't describe what happens when they sell um, with a foreign investor. So let's kick off the show with that. Okay, fair enough. So we have this Foreign Investment in Real Property Tax Act. It goes back to 1980. And again, if you or I sell property here in Florida or throughout the United States, we pay income taxes on the profit or the gain. Mm-hmm. And what was happening then was that foreign investors were avoiding paying the taxes. That's not good. <laughs> not for us. <laughs> not not good. good. And they could run away to another country and well, never to come in again. Two things with that. Yeah, so back in 1980, the act goes back that far. Wow. And it started requiring the withholding of 10% of the sales price in general situations, with exceptions as a tax deposit, not the tax itself, but a deposit to be paid toward the taxes, requiring people to file tax returns at the end of the year. So it's for capital gains? Is that what it is? Capital or? gains, yes. yes. Okay. okay. And with that then, even with the uh, even with that in place, all right, and I apologize, let me start with this. It used to be at 10% withholding. Recently, it's gone up to 15%. And what would happen is even with the 10%, there were situations where people would have a tax obligation greater than 10% of the sales price and they could still pay the 10%, and we used to call it FERPTA and FLEA. They'd pay their 10% and take the rest of the money still with them. Oh, wow. Right? Now, today... Wait a minute. Yes. You called it FERPTA and FLEA? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take the money and run. There's a song with that. <laughs> That's it. Okay. And basically then, they should be doing the same thing as we are as taxpayers. And the IRS increased the number, the percentage, to 15%. Okay. And 15% is kind of like the magic or general long-term capital gains tax rate. There are exceptions, but 15% is really where it is. So let's think about that. On a million-dollar home, which is simple math, it's $150,000 that is going to be set aside in a tax? Yes, okay. Okay. And the tax is going to be based ultimately on, with adjustments, the purchase price, initial purchase price, Mm -hmm. and the sales price. So if they acquired the property for $250,000, again, not considering closing costs and so forth, and sell for the million dollars, you have, what, Mm $750,000, and it's 15% of that. So when they, that's what the tax will be, but the way they calculate it is just on straight? Right now, then, yes, okay, so the deposit is 15%. Now, there's exceptions to that, and specifically what you can do in advance of closing, you can make an application for a reduction of that holdback. Mm-hmm. All right, and that's where you show the IRS in advance that, look, basically this is what my basis in the property is, this okay. is what my sale price, net price is going to be, and my tax obligation is going to be less than 15% of the full sales price. Okay. And what happens... So using yours instead, yes. it would be 75 plus... I should have had better rounder numbers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let's say, assume we bought it for 500000 and we're selling it for a million, so that's five hundred thousand. So that would be seventy-five thousand instead of, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand. Right. So half the money, which is much better. Okay. Yes. It's right. Much better. <laughs> because who doesn't want to take their money and run, so to speak? Yeah. But at the end of the day, 
they might have other expenses, okay. and that can be a lot of money to set aside. Yes, and actually, if you go back in history, Mark Weiland had some issues with a lot of foreign investors who were basically taking the money, never filing any tax returns, and mm. they had some real issues later on. Now, this is a national uh, law, FERPTA. Oh, yes, okay. It's yeah. part of the IRS, the federal tax system. Okay. So this isn't anything to do with Florida. This is for any foreign investor that wants to buy anywhere in the U.S. This is what happens. That's right. And as an aside, though, for all of us, Florida has no individual income tax. All right. So when we have transactions in Florida, we're not paying any state income tax on the gains. Which is awesome. It could be better, but it's good. <laughs> well, the, the gains is kind of hard, but <laughs> but it's not... You know, we're only paying national, you know, federal tax, not, yes. yeah. It's federal income tax, that's what it is. Yeah. Well, what else would anyone want to know that would be a foreign investor that they, we haven't talked about here? Well, I'm trying to think. A lot of things. I mean, one issue would be how to take title. Right. One issue, uh, I'm trying to think of some other issues. Um, what about getting this uh, IRS number? Okay. Uh, at some point, you're going to need that. Mm -hmm. yes, right. Especially if you're renting a property. Um, you're going to put it into a rental pool. You definitely need that because you're going to have rental income that you're going to have to okay. declare. And let's go back with that, yes, okay? Because if you have an income-producing property that is income, you're filing tax returns. Mm -hmm. And also, you have an issue with what's called depreciation. And that mm -hmm. kind of carries over into uh, U.S. taxpayers as well with mm -hmm. income-producing properties. Mm -hmm. So... Couple things to think about as a foreign investor. One is, um, and in another show, in another really merry show, we'll talk with an accountant that can talk about that on what needs to be set up with that. But um, there's two components when you buy it and when you sell it, and how you buy it and how you take title, and then how you sell it and this tax that's out there that you want to definitely know and understand as you're thinking about investing here in the US if you're a foreign investor. Well, one of the points also, and that'll lead Mary to your conversation with the accountant, as a foreign investor, if you would die owning property in the United States, we have federal estate taxes, mm. which are significant. And the, oh, the imposition, the taxing of a foreign property owner as opposed to a U.S. citizen is much greater. Well, and that leads to another thing. I was working with a foreign investor that wasn't married to his significant other. And how do you protect that person from capital? That, there's all, that kind of unwinds a whole sort of thing. But maybe those are more accounting kind of conversations. But they could have, we had talked about through an LLC with them and some other ways to take that. Why don't we talk about, because this might be a good segue into okay. how do we take title? What What are some of the ways... Whether I'm an investor, a foreign investor, or um, just somebody like me out there looking to take title, what what are the best ways to do that, and how does that imply? What what happens when we go to sell it? What does that look like? All right, sure. Uh, let's see then. Let's talk about the ordinary individuals. So there are three basic ways to take title. Mm -hmm. One of which is limited for a husband and wife. Okay. Okay, and that's a tendency by the entireties. With that, on the death of the first. The surviving spouse automatically has title vested with her or with him. Mm -hmm. So there's no probate, all right? Which the, is important for time and money. It is, okay? It's, it's something if you can avoid it, it's worth avoiding. Yeah. All right? Now, with the death of the survivor, <laughs> all right, then there would be probate. Unless in the transition period, you could do something where you change the title. Right? right. We have the ability then also to take 
title is what's called Tenants in Common. That's where you and I are partners, basically. Okay. Not technically partners, but we're partners in the ownership, and we each have our percentage in the property. Okay. Ordinarily 50-50, sometimes, what, 35, 65? Okay. All right? And that's up to us to handle uh, the structure for that as far as what your portion is, what my portion is. All right? But again, we own as tenants in common. And what happens if one of us dies? But with that, then, if I would die, um, let's do it this way. If you were to die, <laughs> all right? But if you were all to right, Fred, if I die, okay, yeah. I'll get that. No, with that, that would go to your estate. Okay. Okay? So it remains with you and with your directions as far as where it should go. Okay. Okay. Another way, the third way, is as joint tenants with rights of survivorship, where the two of us take title, and this time if I die first, it now goes to you. Okay. My part goes to you, so now it's fully in your name. Okay. That also avoids probate. So it's kind of like a, a variation of the husband and wife with tenants by the entireties. And again, there's a right of survivorship. We avoid probate with that. Right. Okay. Uh, let's see then. And you can see situations where, say, a brother and sister, by example, mm -hmm. uh, they want to do that, or there's two uh, investors and either have family that they're just very willing to give it to the other on death. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see then. Uh, Talk about trust. Okay, well, with the trust then, again, another way to avoid probate. The trust, let's jump back. And we talk about the tenancy by the entireties. We spoke about, again, the death of the first, title vest in full with the survivor. But now when the survivor dies, there'll be probate. So the trust is set up basically to avoid probate. Right. And it's a continuous entity or being, in a sense, so that if I die, my trust continues in place with ownership. And it does not become part of, uh, the property doesn't become part of the probate estate. So probate's one option um, that you're trying to handle. Okay. What happens if it's, because this happens a lot to us here, if it's a parent's okay. and in the trust is the children or a child, whatever, yeah. do they get taxed on that at time or because they're in the trust? Oh, okay. What does that look like? Well, let's see. Basically, then, what you ordinarily have would be the parent or the parents right. as the makers, the settlers or grantors of okay. the trust. And they actually control the beneficial interest. One of the important things here, then, is the ability to amend or revoke the trust, kind of like a will. I can change the ultimate okay. designee or beneficiary. Okay. So with that, let's see, we uh, have not made any vested gift to the kids. Okay. It doesn't materialize until the death, all right? And I'm talking about the death of the parents. Okay, and then if it... Now it becomes theirs. Until that point in time, the husband and the wife, the parents, it's theirs. If there's income being generated, okay. it's taxable to them. Okay. Okay? On the ultimate death, again, we're using the husband and wife together, the ultimate death of the survivor, you're going to have the... Survivor's estate, then, and the inheritance by the kids. Okay, so there will be a tax. Well, it's not. It's subject to estate taxes at that point in time. Okay. Likewise, the basis the kids are going to have in the property is a value at that time. All right. All right. So let's take the math here for a minute okay. because I'm kind of down to practicals. The parents buy it for two hundred thousand. Okay. At the time they pass away, it's. 500000 which is the new basis of the property? For the or kids, yes. For the kids, right? right? 
So they're taxed on the difference between the 200 and the 500? No, they're not. Okay. Okay. The parents' estate is subject to federal estate taxes. Right. And when we're dealing with a husband and wife situation, the taxes are going to start on that portion of the estate. And again, I'm talking general terms, but that portion of, of the estate greater than $11 million, approximately $11 million. Okay. So most of us are not there. So we don't have to worry about any estate tax at that point. $11 million. Essentially a little more. $11 million for as, as, as Austin Powers yeah. used to do. So it's really $22 million? No, no, I'm sorry. It's $11 million is basically twice, once for the husband, once for the wife. Okay. So twenty-two million. No, 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 no. It's oh, five, half. Five, five, oh, fifty-five. Million, five point five. Hmm. Okay. Let me think. <laughs> but now the kids—they've inherited for the five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So their ultimate sale is going to be based off of that—that that basis. Okay. okay. I have eleven. I'm sorry. Five. What do we say? Five. Five hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah. And not the original purchase price by the parents. Okay. And then they go to sell it for a million dollars a few years later, and their tax basis, they've, they've dealt with the estate taxes. Their tax basis on that property is then the delta between their basis, which was the 500 and what they sell it for at a million. So Are there a lot of numbers with this? I really like this particular no, 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 show. I, I, this is the accountant. We're, like, doing good. No, no, I, I'm impressed. I didn't realize you knew the delta. Yeah, I could do the delta as same, long as they're easy. Same falsus on everything but delta, okay. Exactly. <laughs> it's just so funny. So, the, you know, this is a true issue, guys. I mean, and, and just think about it. When you're, you're buying a property and or when you're selling it or inheriting something, mm-hmm. because we get a lot of those in all three ways. I always say, you know, that this is like the general rule of thumb and some things to think about. But you really want to talk to the professional, you know, when you go to do this and um, really decide how you want. What, what is your long-term gain on this okay. going to be? How do you see this rolling out? And then more importantly, you know, if any of us can die at any time, certainly, but if we're a little bit elderly in our years, yeah. then what does this look like? Because we're always looking for tax benefits and to avoid probate okay. for our kids. Yeah, and, and with that, though, let's go back. One very important point for the foreign investor, uh, having real property in your individual name and dying at that point in time creates some real concerns with federal state taxes. So they need to be very careful, more careful than we need to be. Okay. Which is, you know, um, something to think about and why you want a professional counsel talking to you about it when you're taking title and what that looks like. Now, which kind of talks a little bit the next term, we can write a a name, a a certain name, you know, the individual's name on a contract and then oh. as you're deciding how you want to take mm-hmm. title, you can change it, correct? Yeah, and two things with that then. Ordinarily, contracts are assignable. So I can assign my rights as a buyer to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Secondly, though, in our form, the neighbor contract. Yep. Okay. Here uh, in neighbor, Southwest Florida. Neighbor's Board of Realtors <laughs> contract, right? That's what we use primarily in Collier County. There's a specific provision where the buyer has a period of time to notify the seller as to how he or she wants to take title. Okay. Individual names, corporate, uh, a trust, whatever. And that makes it easier because sometimes when we're going through the process, we don't know how we want to take it because, as you can see, mm-hmm. there's multiple ways to do it. Mm-hmm. 
But we can put that one name on there and then decide later. Yes. And be totally okay with the contract, which I think is important to know. Um, make sure you secure the property first and then figure out how you're going to handle the, you know, how you take title and all the things that go along with that. So that's kind of like, okay, I really did it now. Now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> about this what does this look like um exactly so <clears throat> you know and did i really want to do that <laughs> no i think that's a bad marriage that's not a <laughs> that's not uh taking property um so those are a couple things i'm gonna take a little minute here in our podcast and put my glasses on <laughs> so that i can see what else we want to talk about 1031 exchange and how to take title we did closing hiccups uh, uh, that can be like the worst case of all. We're no. into the club. No, no that's a good thing. <laughs> Hiccups are not, they're temporary. Okay. okay, I love that. So we still get the closing done. Okay. We're still closing the property. We don't have a breach of contract. We don't have litigation over deposit <laughs> money. We're trying to force performance of the contract. That's the worst thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> force performance. Those <laughs> words, the, together with an attorney, they are not words you want to hear. Forcing performance. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. But with that, uh, oh. With that, the hiccups. Yes, the hiccups. So I'm trying to think, ideally, if you were the buyer or the seller, there's a lot of small hiccups that take place between the closing agents, your lawyers, and so forth, that you don't even know about. Okay? It should be very smooth in that, in that regard. Right. right. Now, the situation, I hate to say that and not really give examples, but the situations we're concerned about that involve the buyer and the seller primarily will be things like, Oh, something as silly as the documents come back for closing and they're not properly notarized or they're not mm. witnessed properly and we're not ready to close. Uh, when you have a mortgage, there's all sorts of issues there as far as timing and sequence and so forth and being good to close. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, other than that, though, you have issues, oh, I'm trying to think, maybe primarily with improved real property where there are now, there's now an inspection mm -hmm. right, right before closing and something took place. Something broke, something happened. So it's not what the property was when you looked at it when you made the offer to buy. Mm -hmm. right? And it's a last-minute thing where we'll close early afternoon, late morning, and the inspection's done first thing in the morning. It's kind of like, well, wait a second. Mm -hmm. The stove's not working. Yeah. Okay, something like that. Yeah, who's so, going to buy it? <laughs> or, we, we didn't see that roof leak yesterday. Yeah. In the rainy season, that can happen. <laughs> not, not in any of our properties. I, let me just make a note of that. Not in any of ours. <laughs> Is that a promise? Yeah. No, it's not a promise, but it's not in any of ours. <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, let's see, though. And what else? What about, those are the like, like permitting and this word estoppel that comes back because it's a fees are coming from somewhere else, right? And the buyer doesn't know about it, like uh, water bills or an oh. HOA or yeah. assessments that okay. show yeah. up late to yeah. the table. So estoppel, it's, I guess, kind of a legal term, but basically what we do for a closing, we send out what's called estoppel letters. And when the person, the creditor, sends back the estoppel letter, it's kind of like, this is what I announced to be the debt. Right. And I'm bound by this. By example, we'll have a closing, and there'll be an existing mortgage owned by a bank, and the seller has to pay it off at closing. Mm -hmm. So we send out a letter to the bank and saying, give us your estoppel information. Tell us how much money is due. I'm buying the property, and I want to pay it off. All right, same thing with condominium associations, homeowner associations, where there are various assessments. Right. And you want to make sure you know the number to be sure that it's going to be paid at closing. 
And let's see what else. Uh, the state and, government, by example. And some of them aren't really snappy about getting the numbers back. Uh, the hiccup. <laughs> yes. Hence the hiccup. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes at the last minute, we're kind of running around with that. <laughs> that happens more than we'd like it to. Fred's office is, by the way, in our same building as our office, and I find my way walking down the steps at and, a number I, of times. And I used to think your office was in my building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, because he is on the first floor and he was here first, but just saying. <laughs> but, you know, those kind of hiccups happen, and mm-hmm. again, it's no fault of the attorney, it's no fault of the realtor. It really is a function of the process, and I think mm-hmm. it gets super frustrating when you agree to some people that are going through the process, maybe they don't understand it, and now they've got this hiccup, and they're like, well, why didn't you know? Yeah, and, and absolutely. I mean, when you, especially when you're buying a property, this is such a major investment for you. You want to make sure it's done right. Mm-hmm. You don't want last-minute worries about it. Uh, just, yeah, and the hiccups all of a sudden, you hear about them, it's like, what's going on? And you try to contact people, and they don't have the answers yet, and they don't get right back to you in 15 mm-hmm. seconds or 15 minutes. Uh, so I can see where that's concerning for a buyer, also for a seller who wants to get it closed and get the proceeds right away. Exactly. And, and again, you know, making sure that you have the right professionals on your team is so key because they are your extension. And I know the process, we've gone through a couple where it gets frustrating or, um, you know, work isn't being done on time. And so that pushes closing back. And here recently we had some roof work that needed to happen in some of our properties. Okay. And um, we needed to make sure that got done so the new buyer could get insurance. And, yes. you know, those things have to be in place. So it is just a process. And having knowledgeable people like Fred and like the Bartos group, which Wheelie Mary is a part of. Um, would, you that, say, would you say a major yeah, part? Yeah, yeah, just a major part. Just a, a small. A major part. Yes, major. Yeah, no, exactly. That's really important. Um, you know, we're going down this path of... Uh, you know, we talked about foreign investors, but what about investors that a 1031 exchange? People might have heard right. of that. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah, first point with the 1031 exchange, it's reference to a, a section of the IRS code, okay, section 1031. Okay. The concept I didn't is, know that, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I just know it as the, as the numbers. <laughs> right. And basically then, oh, let's see if this makes sense. If I buy a property today, all right, and ultimately down the road I sell 20 years from now, I'm going to pay prop, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to pay taxes on the gain based on the original purchase price. With the exchange, I can exchange various properties over those 20 years, and when I have the ultimate sale, I'll now again be paying the taxes based on the original purchase price of the first property, mm-hmm. the basis in that property. And it allows people to trade properties and not have initial tax consequences, all right? So if you had a property, wherever, a Mark Island, say, right. a condominium, right. and you wanted a house, and I owned a house, and I wanted a condominium, we could trade them. Hmm. And there's I didn't no, know that. no initial tax consequences. Okay? okay. So that's a tax, well, tax. I was going to say tax-free, tax-delayed exchange. Right. All right? And you keep your original basis in your property, okay. and I keep the original basis in my property. Now, that's a very superficial example because what you're going to have is probably some, some cash, some boot. In other words, they're not going to be equal. probably not going to be equal in value. Right. And there's a little, well, some tax consequences on, I'll call the boot, the difference. But it's not often where you have the ability to have 
two traders, and traders is the wrong word actually, but two people trying to trade properties, okay? Ordinarily then you have a situation where I'm trying to sell my property and I want to buy another property. This is where we get into a, a delayed 1031 exchange. We're literally, and there's a structure for this, and the structure has to be done properly, okay? But the general concept is simply that I have the ability to sell my one property uh, to Eric, okay? Eric's behind the camera. <laughs> okay. Hey, Eric. <laughs> and in turn then, use the proceeds through setting up a trust with the 1031 exchange. Again, it's very technical in that sense. Mm -hmm. And then using the proceeds to buy your property down the road. Right. Okay? And it's actually a reverse exchange where if you structure it properly, I can buy your property first and then ultimately sell to Eric. Right. And, and we've had people that have thought they were going to have to go down that path because they were under contract with another property and they okay. needed the property in our market to close first, mm -hmm. but they could switch it around. Yeah. So it's nice to know that's an option. Okay. Well, it is. Okay. And uh, with that then, and I don't want to go too far into it, but if I sell my property, I don't yet have to know what property I'm going to buy. But I've got 45 days from the closing date to select up the three properties. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm talking general terms three properties that I might buy. And a year, well, I'm sorry, half a year, 180 days actually, to close on the purchase of one of those properties, okay? The, uh, and let me insert please. in there. So as a realtor, when we hear that, <laughs> we say, let's get all three of them under contract. If you really want one of those three, mm -hmm. let's start negotiating on them. And there are ways to negotiate on multiple properties at the same time, but you don't want all three of those to not be able to sell and you've identified or buy That's and you've identified the three. So we right. want to get one of the three under contract. So go ahead as you were continuing on. I'm trying to think. Where would you like me to start again? So at that 1031, um, you said some words. There's a trust. So that means uh, there's another person that's involved, another company yeah. entity, right? Yeah, let's, let's say this. Uh, what you need to do is have an independent trustee. Okay. Property. We're holding funds. And, and there's companies, trustees that are out there that are already 1031 exchange. So, so talk about that a little bit more. Well, an important point too, okay? When you deal with your exchange company, you need to make sure that it's, it's solid. All right? And with that, you've got to make sure it has insurance. Mm. Uh, I'll say about 15 years ago, there were a couple situations. One was in Texas where you can understand these exchange companies are holding millions and millions of dollars. Mm. And they're just sitting there, okay, until somebody steals the money, and then these that's people, not good. No, and these people are out their money though because <laughs> that's not no good. Recourse. And that was in so, Texas. That's not in Florida. That was in Texas and not in Florida. <laughs> just true. saying. So if you're coming from Texas, we want to make sure you get the right exchange company. <laughs> but that's it, okay? Uh, yeah, to make sure it's done right. The uh, and the, to, they yeah. can't take the money when the. Property A sells that they want to exchange for one of these others. No. That money can't come into their possession and then go to the trust. It has to flow to the trust. And maybe this will make sense, okay? The money basically has to go into a cookie jar that you can't touch. And it has to go from the person closing it into the cookie jar. Yes. I like that analogy. Good. That cookie jar thing, I might steal that. Oh, it's a gift. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's a cookie <laughs> in the jar. <laughs> awesome. And, you know... But, but it doesn't always make sense to do a 1031. We talked well, with a yeah. client, right? She didn't have enough money in there that it made sense. We talked with a couple. Well, you have a couple things at play. Um, first of all, you might do the exchange. This is not to your question, but you might do the exchange. 
and not really be able to find the property you want within 45 days. Mm. I mean, you should be looking in advance, but you know, maybe it just doesn't work out. Right. Okay, and then you decide just to, you force to cancel it. Okay. Other situations, though, let, let's go back and again, the general long-term capital gains is 15%. Mm-hmm. Okay. If your gain on a 1031 is only going to be maybe, on the sale is only going to be maybe twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, maybe even a hundred thousand dollars. Let's just say the hundred thousand dollars. You might decide that you know, I might as well just pay the taxes now, right. fifteen thousand dollars, and get it over with. Okay. Also with that, and I'm sorry, there's a number of points, but here's one that's important. When you select the second property, right, you've got to buy something at a price at or greater than what you're selling your property for. Oh, good to know. Because if you're buying something for less, all right, you're going to be receiving cash. And the cash you receive is fully taxable at that time. Mm-hmm. And somebody, some people may want to do that. Um, you know, what's kind of common in our market, and we've done several, is in the Midwest, all families that have owned land, lar- large land, farmers, um, large landholders, families have owned it, and then the kids inherit it, or start farming it, or whatever that process is, and then they're selling that out. And they're trying to defer some of this, yes. um, and some of it they're going to get taxed on. Okay. Also, with that, then, and here's a real monkey wrench. You don't know if five years now, or from now, ten years down the road, whatever, the capital gains rate jumps from 15% to 25%. So all of a right. sudden, you could have paid 15% in this year, and now, on the ultimate sale of the exchange property you acquire, you're paying 25%. Which is why we're avoiding it, because mostly people that are paying a higher tax bracket are working people, you know, oh, I apologize. still, right? Yeah, I didn't explain it right. I mean, long-term capital gains rate... Oh, it's 15, rate, sorry, yeah, my that bad. Might, that yeah. might go up from 15 to 25 or 20%, whatever. Okay. So all of a sudden, you're taking a bigger hit down the road. Boy, I hope it doesn't go to 25%. I mean, the government... 10% sounds a lot nicer, right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds a lot nicer. We know, this was not from your mouth to the government's ears to say that 25%. That is not what we want to do here. <laughs> well, I don't think they can follow my suggestions anyway. <laughs> Mine either, for that matter. Um, on those four topics, I know we kind of, they were diverse. Anything else that you want to add in those oh, that we didn't talk about? Yeah, probably we went through things, well, we did go through things rapidly. And there's probably things that we should have suggested or uh, talked about we missed, okay? And hopefully whatever points we did raise, they were clear and understandable. Absolutely. And as always, you can always comment below, you know, we'll get back to you. But these are a case-by-case basis. These are, we're just talking about general rules of thumb kind of thing. Okay. Always get professional counsel. Um, not necessarily in legal terms from a realtor. You want to get it from a true attorney, I might add. And Fred is here in Southwest Florida is a great attorney. That's why we oh. use them. Well, we really appreciate it, both in real estate, law, and, um, you know, you guys do other laws. So talk a little bit about the company. They do after fives, too. <laughs> yeah, they, they do after five. We do after fives here, you know. Um, not that we've been accused of being drunks or anything, but we do yeah. like to do a happy hour. But talk about, yeah. um, you know... Kramer, Huey, who you are, what does that? What right. does your business well, practice you. look like? Basically then, uh, I've been a Mark Allen since 1977, which is... He started a, when he was 10. A long while, yeah. But my partner is Peter Huey. Our firm is Kramer Huey. And we're a diversified civil trial uh, 
practice, we have estate planning practice, and we have obviously real estate transactional work practice. And that's what we usually use them for. We're not the civil side of things. <laughs> and, Real estate practice. And the important point is, neither Mary nor I do criminal, right? Right. No. Uh-uh. uh-uh. <laughs> no criminal here, for sure. Um, well, we do appreciate you uh-huh. taking the time. Um, certainly, uh, thank you for joining. Really, Mary? Want to get it? <laughs> really? Yes, <okay. laughs> really, Mary? Um, our podcast, and we hope that you'll tune in for the next episode of Really, Mary? And uh, we look forward to seeing you here in paradise, okay. listening on the podcast. And thanks for the invitation. Thank you for your time, too. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.